Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Happy Luis Castillo might be back day and welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, June 16th. I am Frank Stample joined by Scott White. And before we get into everything, because... There's a lot, as usual, to talk about. I just want to commend and thank everybody who is here watching us live and listening on demand. We have talked about this a lot recently, but this has truly been the weirdest fantasy season that we have had to traverse, that we have had to navigate to this point. So give yourself a pat on the back for sticking with it and not just giving in on fantasy baseball this season. Scott, I am ready to crush the comp. Are you ready? Crush the comp? Like yes. the comparison? No, the competition, Scott. Oh. <laughs> comp. I've never heard that before. I've heard comp is short for compensation. I've heard comp is short. What did I just say? Comp, what did, comp is short for comparison. Composition, I think you just said. Is that what you said? I don't know. Oh, yeah, I've heard that too. But never yeah. competition. Corp- can't. Corporate Scott comp for it's like It's like... Uh, like Sausage and pep pizza. What's the pep? Is it pepperoni? Is it peppers? Is it Pepsi? Who calls pizza sausage and pep? Isn't that a thing? A sausage and pep pizza? <laughs> I don't know, Scott. I live in New York and I've eaten a lot of pizza in my life. I've never I heard thought it of, was a New York thing. I've never heard of sausage and pep. Sausage and pep. Yeah. Sauce and pep. Since we've, if you shortened it to sauce and pep, that'd be really confusing. You're talking about tomato sauce? You're yeah. talking about... Sausage. Since we've already wasted this much time, Scott, if you order a regular slice of pizza or Uh a cheese slice of pizza, what would you ask for? Would you ask for a regular or cheese? Cheese. No. It's a regular slice of pizza. It's normal. It's plain. It's regular. Plain. Ah, That's one of the age-old arguments uh, here in New York. It's regular. It's not a cheese pizza. Anyway, today on the pod, we're going to play a little trade matchmaker. The Excitometer is back for some notable starting pitcher standouts. Recap the rest of Tuesday's action. We're not going to talk about Tyler Glass now as much because we did do an emergency podcast that you can check out on demand. Uh, But let's start with more of the latest on foreign substances, which frankly... I've had it up to here, Scott. I've had it up to here with talking about foreign substances, but I feel like whenever there's an update, we, we do have to update the people. But I've, I've had it. I've had it with this stuff. 
Oh, we're gonna. There's, there's a lot more to go, Frank. So don't get tired of it yet. I know, I know, and that, and that's why this has been it's just beginning. This is just the beginning of the conversation that's going to go on for months and months and months and years, maybe, maybe the rest of our lives. The rest of our lives. All right, so let's get to it. MLB confirmed they will start cracking down on the use of foreign substances for pitchers starting Monday, June 21st, which we brought up yesterday, but uh, we didn't actually have confirmation from the MLB. We now have that. This will include umpires regularly checking pitchers throughout the course of the game. Any pitcher caught with a substance will be ejected from the game immediately and suspended for 10 games with pay. Pitchers can continue to use rosin, but can no longer use it in conjunction with sunscreen, which leads me to believe we're going to see some really wacky suntans for starting pitchers, Scott. Yeah, for some burns. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be... I, what, do you, what are they going to use instead? Like some kind of spray on something? I don't, I don't know what's going to happen there. But anyway, they can't like just have a glob of suntan lotion somewhere and, and mix it with rosin. That's one of the substances they cannot use. And also of note, teams will not be able to replace suspended players on their roster, which... I thought it was interesting. So if someone gets suspended, you're down to a 25-man roster. It's It doesn't you remain a 26-man roster. You just have to play at that disadvantage. Uh, as for what this means for, I guess, the landscape, we spoke about yesterday how it will likely lead to offense being up and pitching taking a step back, which I think is the most obvious. But in terms of control and hit-by-pitches, we're currently on pace for the most hit-by-pitches in a season ever, all time. And... The MLB is hoping that as a result of not having that extra grip from said substances, pitchers will try and tone it down with the max ex, uh, effort velocity that they're constantly throwing with, which will lead to improved control. That is an assumption by MLB. I don't know that that is actually going to happen from players in the league, but that is what they think is going to happen. Uh, and I don't want to spend too much time on like the ethics side of things here, Scott. You know, who's right, who's wrong, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but this does seem eerily similar to how MLB basically turned a blind eye to PEDs for as long as they did. And then once it was, wasn't convenient for them, they decided to turn it around on the players, which is basically what we're going through right now. Like, so many pitchers have said, this has been in the game for a long time, dating back to however... The earliest days of baseball, right? I'm sure they didn't have yeah. spider tack back then, but they they had something. Right. But it's every time MLB comes across a scandal like this, it just seems like the way that they handle it is just embarrassing. That they kind of turn it back on the players, and obviously Trevor Bauer went off on a rant about it, and so on and so forth. You can go follow it up on Twitter. Um, so before we get into a little bit of glass now here, Scott, uh, do you have any thoughts ultimately on this entire situation, what the policy entails, and... MLB being dirty, rotten scoundrels with the way that they handle this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, I, to me, it, it strikes me as a little more egregious as their their turnaround on on um, PEDs because, like, th this wasn't even really a secret that this was going on. And yeah, there were a lot of suspicions about the PEDs twenty years ago, a lot of assumptions made, but like, like everybody knew this was going on and had been going on for a long time and. Even things as commonplace as sunscreen and rosin being suddenly off the table too. Like, you know, there's a rosin bag provided on the mound. You're wearing sunscreen. It, it's almost like, how do you avoid doing it, you know? And and I just, I, I worry about the stigma. The stigma, we talked about it yesterday and it, it was brought up more on Twitter today. Rachel Luba 
who is uh, Trevor Bauer's agent, was kind of trying to get out ahead of the stigma, which was not a great look. Um, Trevor Bauer, Rachel Luba, Trevor Bauer is not going to be a Hall of Famer. So maybe you're looking out for (laughs) other players, but I'm just going to tell you right now, Trevor Bauer will not be a Hall of Famer. Continue, Scott. (laughs) I I, I wouldn't assume that, but fair enough. He's, he's has a long way to go for sure. But yeah, she was, she was kind of getting out ahead of that. And, you know, I was just looking in some of the mentions and and people were getting riled up about it the same way they do about PEDs. And I'm like, Oh geez, (laughs) something (laughs) that's going to come into play every hall of fame vote from now on. Cause I just don't like this thought of that. And, you know, as we talked about yesterday, I wonder if 10 games is going to be enough of a deterrent. It's interesting that, as you mentioned, they can't replace a player. So maybe if one guy goes down, everybody's like, all right, don't do any of this for a while. But really the, the most novel thought I had today about this was brought up by Tyler Glass. Now we did an emergency pod. um, Once it was revealed that Tyler Glass now had a partial tear of his UCL and he's not going to have Tommy John surgery yet. He's going to try and rehabilitate it. But I think we all know where that that's headed. But what we didn't mention in that podcast is that he blames the sudden removal of these substances from the field of play for the injury because all, all of a sudden, the way the ball comes out of your hand is different and you're trying to compensate for that. And any time you're, you're changing the way you deliver the baseball, that, that opens the door to injury. So he fully blames that on his injury. And uh, we saw Tucker Davidson get removed today with a forearm issue himself. His velocity was down prior to that. It seems like it, it might be a serious injury. You know, he, he hasn't come out and blamed it, but you know, it, it, it makes me wonder now every time the pitcher's removed from an injury, could it have had an impact? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, something else that I thought about Scott is if we start to see velocity toned down a little bit for the reasons that MLB mentioned, right? That they assume players are not going to try and throw as hard because they don't have this this grip, the same grip that they've had for the past couple of seasons. We're Every time we see velocity down, we're going to have to wonder, well, okay, is this a, a, a reaction to that or is it something where this player is actually hurt or they're pitching through something? So I think that's going to be an added level of analysis that we're going to have to work in in terms of velocity. But I actually agreed with what Trevor Bauer had to say regarding this is that it, it is pretty weird to just like, change a rule mid-season. It would be like doing that in your fantasy league, which we constantly tell people don't do that, I guess, unless it's something that's really egregious and, and there's a unanimous vote within your league. But uh, it is pretty crazy for baseball to just come out and, and change this mid-season. You know, maybe they do it in the offseason and, and pitchers can learn how to throw without it. But uh, Tyler Glass, now you mentioned, Scott, placed on the IL, partially torn UCL, blamed not having substances. He basically went cold turkey a couple of starts ago, stopped using them, and he was trying to overcompensate for not having them, and that's what led to this injury, or so he says. You can listen to that uh, the emergency podcast, but ultimately, Scott, you said that you were going to drop him outside of your top 60 starting pitchers. I have updated yeah. my rankings. I put him down to SP62 as of now. Does that mean that you are still holding on to Glass now, I guess with the slight hope that he returns this season? Yeah, that basically sums it up. I, I'm not expecting him to return this season, but he hasn't been ruled out, and the impact potential is so high that you you really don't want to just drop him before you have to, if you can help it. So I my goal is to move him down as far in my rankings, like behind all the other pitchers that I wouldn't consider dropping. 
<laughs> just kind of putting them at the back end of that group. So yeah, uh, the 65 to 70 range is probably where he'll wind up for me. Yeah, I think I probably have to drop him even lower than based on, because I agree with what you just said, and Dallas Keuchel has looked really good now for two, three-ish starts in a row. Uh, so I think I'd rather have Keuchel. Uh, Logan Gilbert has looked good recently. Kyle Gibson has been great all season. Frankie Montas just had a really good start, which we will talk about. So I think I probably need to move glass now behind those names as well. Uh, of course, Shane Bieber went on the IL on Monday. Max Scherzer went on the IL on Tuesday. It's expected to be a minimal stay for him. Uh, but if you are hurting for starting pitching because you had one or multiple of these pitchers on your team, uh, we spoke about some of these options, waiver wire options, but Logan Gilbert, Tarek Skubal, Austin Gomber, Mike Miner was pretty meh on Tuesday, but he's still been pretty good over his last seven starts overall. And if you're in a deeper league, Vladimir Gutierrez is a name that you can look at as well. But let's get into Tuesday and talk about actual baseball, Scott. Oh my good goodness gracious. All right, so where would you like to begin here today, Scotty? I would like to begin with one of the most available players you'll ever hear us talk about, no my goodness gracious. And that is Bobby Bradley, Babo of the Cleveland Indians, their new first baseman, now that Jake Bowers has moved to greener pastures. So Bobby Bradley hit a home run today. It was a very, there was a lot of hang time on this home run. It was like a Dan Straczynski punt. There was a lot of hang time. It was impressive in that way. But Bobby Bradley, we already know to have impressive power. He is a guy who has had, I think, multiple 30 homer seasons in the minors. And the minor league season is so short and so many, so few pitches are in the strike zone that it's, that's hard to do. It's hard. You don't see many 30 homer seasons in the minors at all. Okay. So he has, he's had 30, he had a 33 homer season, a 27 homer season, a 29 homer season, another 27 homer season, a lot of home runs for Bobby Bradley. Unfortunately, the strikeout rate has also been very high. It's why, uh, for instance, he was hitting 196 at AAA prior to this promotion. So is there any reason to be excited about him then? Maybe. Maybe. Depends how deep your league is. I'm not ruling out Bobby Bradley being better in the majors than he ever was in the minors. Because you look at what he was doing in spring training, when it clearly wasn't an open competition between him and Jake Bowers, you know, there were minor league options coming into play with that decision. Uh, Bobby Bradley was very productive this spring, and he only struck out six times in 27 at-bats. I look at that, you know, where he seemed like a change player. All the reports were glowing about him, all these changes he had made, uh, you know, specifically with an idea, uh, with an eye on making more contact. Uh, I'm sorry, it was actually seven strikeouts and... 33 bats. But anyway, I wonder if it was a situation where he thought he won the job. He gets sent down. He's kind of coasting, going through the motions because he's not happy with what happened. And Terry Francona actually referred to it as a bitter pill for him to swallow, for Bradley to swallow. Um, and now he comes up in the majors. And so far, in addition to having three home runs now in 25 at bats, he struck out only four times in 25 at best. So spring training and regular season so far, you know, we're talking about how many at bats is it? 60 at bats where he's been a much, much better contact hitter than he ever was in the minors. This is me kind of begging 
for an answer, begging for the scenario that I want to happen, you know, kind of straining credibility. I understand that, but stranger things have happened. So I'm hopeful that Bobby Bradley, with all that power, makes enough contact that he can be a fantasy asset. I think in 15 teams or deeper, worth taking a flyer, seeing where it goes. But obviously, it's a long shot. Bobby Bradley is 24% rostered, and we all know that Cleveland can use help in their lineup. They have Jose Ramirez, Ahmed Rosario, who I'm going to talk about uh, a lot today because I really like what I've seen from him. They're fine. Uh, Eddie Rosario is coming around too, but outside of you know, three hitters in their lineup. They really, really do need help. So Bobby Bradley is providing that as of now. He's making a lot of contact, big power, four seasons with 27-plus home runs in the minor leagues. I read a really cool feature about him on The Athletic in the offseason where for years he he would change his diet every offseason, and one year he would come in uh, shedding a bunch of weight, and then he would his power would be down. The next year, he would put on a bunch of muscle, and then he would strike out because he wasn't like flexible enough. And he was talking about how he had his best offseason ever as a professional baseball player this offseason. So maybe it's nothing, but I thought it was actually a really cool story. I forgot who wrote it. I'd like to give credit to them, but if you search it up on The Athletic, you will be able to find it. So I'm actually with you there, Scott. I think in deeper leagues, if you do need some pop, Bobby Bradley is going to have an opportunity here to play for Cleveland. And my, oh my goodness gracious player, Scott, I would like to highlight one Taiwan Walker. And while (laughs) we're at it, I owe him a formal apology because last week I said, trade this guy for Cracker Jacks, anything that you can get your hands on. Heck, even if you can get Alex Kirilov, go ahead, go do it, man. He's not worth anything. And then Taiwan Walker just goes out against the Cubs, seven innings, two runs, a career-high 12 strikeouts on Tuesday, 14 swinging strikes on 92 pitches. And what I really like about what he's done recently, one walk or less in six of his last eight starts. So overall, the walks per nine still look very inflated because he's had some starts where the, the walks have really gotten out of control. But six out of his last eight with one walk or less, that's really, really encouraging, Scott. And I don't know that he's ever going to be a plus strikeout contributor like he was in this start. But if he can be Kyle Hendricks-esque, which is someone you might have actually compared him to, then I think that there's actually something there with Tywan Walker. So I apologize to him. Back-to-back, seven inning starts here. He's got a 2.12 ERA on the season. I don't think he's going to keep that up, Scott, but uh, Tywan Walker has been very good this season for the Mets. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly thriving on weak contact. You mentioned the walk rate for the season's bad. Hopefully, this recent stretch, uh, that's going to improve. But the walk rate is bad. The whiff rate is bad. The ground ball rate is bad. The strikeout rate is merely decent. So, clearly, he's thriving on weak contact. That's the only explanation. Um, The XFIP is actually not so bad considering 383. The XERA is actually lower. It's like 330-ish. Uh, which works to 12, which works into him, uh, generating right. weak contact, right? XERA would measure that more than XFIP would. Yep. And the reason I favor XFIP to XERA is because I don't generally buy that pitchers have a ton of control over that, especially from year to year, but even within a season, I, I don't think it's especially predictive unless they have a extended track record of it and and walk uh, Taiwan Walker does have a history of outperforming his exfit consistently so you know obviously he's not going to be a 212 ERA guy overall uh, over all year i would suspect from this point forward maybe a mid 3 ERA 
but enough strikeouts, enough innings that he's going to be pretty usable. I would be reluctant to move him unless somebody was willing to pay up for that ERA. I still think that he's going to regress at some point. I don't know how much that's going to be. So again, this is a sell high situation. And we're going to talk about a bunch of hitters later on when we do this trade matchmaker segment that hopefully doesn't bomb. It's something new. I think it's going to work out, Scott. But uh, there are a lot of hitters available now that have got off to slow starts that you can acquire for cheaper than they were drafted for uh, entering the season. Before we hit the news and notes, This Saturday on CBS, an afternoon of sports begins at 1 Eastern with the Bill Pickett Invitational Rodeo Showdown, followed by WNBA Summer Hoops at 4 Eastern. Head to the field for the NWSL, then in primetime at 8 Eastern. The green flag is out for Superstar Saturday night and race number two of the Camping World SRX Series on the dirt track at Knoxville Fairgrounds in Iowa. A jam-packed day of sports this Saturday on CBS. The news and notes from Tuesday, we had a couple of prospect promotions, and boy, did I whiff on uh, yesterday's podcast, man. It was basically, I was Miguel Sano at the plate on this podcast in terms of what I said about prospects, because I said, well, Jesus Sanchez is slowing down in June. I don't know what's going on there. Matt Manning, ha, no way he's going to get called up. Um, both of them... <laughs> are going to have either been called up or are going to be called up this week. So let's start with Mm -hmm. Jesus Sanchez. Corey Dickerson was placed on the IL. Uh, Jesus Sanchez at AAA was batting 349 overall with nine home runs. He has slowed down in the month of June. But Scott, he is 31% rostered. Where, if anywhere, does Jesus Sanchez need to be added? Five outfielder leagues for sure. Whether it's 15-team, 12-team, possibly even a 10-team. If it's five outfield spots you need to fill... I think Jesus Sanchez is worth a flyer. I think it's reasonable to be pessimistic about the performance of any prospect call-up at this point, given the way they've gone since the start of last season. Uh, You know, some have been pretty good, but the majority have not. So you need to definitely change your expectations for them as a general rule, which is why I'm not suggesting you call up Jesus Sanchez across the board, even though he was batting 349 with a 1043 OPS at AAA this year. Certainly, if he he gets off to a good start with the Marlins, catches fire, then I'm going to start recommending him in three outfield three outfielder leagues as well. But I assume in those three outfielder leagues, you're you're really sweating every ad drop, and um, yeah, you need you need to make sure the ads count. So I'm not I'm not ready to go there yet for Sanchez in three outfielder leagues, especially since, as you pointed out, Frank. He had been slowing down at AAA, 233 with a 670 OPS in his past 19 games. In his debut, uh, it's not his MLB debut, but his season debut on Tuesday, he went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts, and he was up against a lefty in Kwang Hyun Kim. So uh, I agree with that. I think five outfielder leagues, you can add him for now, but anything, anything shallower, we're going to play a little wait and see on Jesus Sanchez. Matt Manning was the other one who will be called up after the Tigers placed Matthew Boyd on the IL. And the reason I was so uh, pessimistic about the possibility of him getting the call is because Matt Manning had an ERA over eight at AAA. <laughs> He's 26% rostered on CBS right now. And I don't know if this is just out of necessity because they have nobody else that they can go to, but... He was allowing a ton of home runs this year, Scott. And based on what we've seen from other prospects, I don't know. I really don't know what we're going to get from Matt Manning. So where do you need to add him? 
if anywhere. Yeah, watch him be the pitcher who dominates right, right out of the yeah. gate when Jackson Kawar and and uh, Daniel Lynch, Logan Gilbert, none of them did. Yeah, I mean Matt Manning, he he was he was the higher prospect. Uh, I was probably about there with Gilbert coming into the season. Uh, consensus top fifty prospect, very steady minor league track record actually. So to see him struggle so much at AAA uh, is very confusing. Now, six of the 11 home runs he allowed came in his first two starts. But even so, uh, his the, the five starts that came after, he actually had a higher ERA, 886, during that stretch. So um, I guess the one glimmer of hope here is that his m- most recent start, which was a week ago at this point, two earned runs in six innings with eight strikeouts, two walks. That's pretty so good. So maybe he's on the right track, but you know, he had a he had a similar start three turns before that. So uh you know, th- actually three of his seven starts were quality starts. You know, I I didn't hear any reports about that latest start specifically. I haven't heard much to explain why he struggled at AAA, but honestly, it's it's such a departure from the rest of his career that I was fearful a report would come out that Matt Manning was dealing with an injury of some kind. Uh, that's how bad it's been. Clearly, that hasn't happened, and the fact he's getting the call would suggest that if he is hurt, they don't know about it. But yeah, I'm not considering Matt Manning a high-priority ad right now. 15 teams are deeper, fine. If you just happen to have a roster spot to burn for some reason, it never hurts to take a chance on upside, but I'm betting against him making an immediate impact. Yeah, I mean, if you play in a league where you have unlimited IL spots, which I kind of think we're getting to that point, just throw all your hurt players on there and you have an open roster spot, then take a shot on Matt Manning and, and see what happens. It's worth mentioning that last year he actually was dealing with some arm trouble in, in his pitching arms. So, uh, you know, just throwing it out there because he was pitching yeah. so badly. But uh, we will see him this Thursday. It's actually a pretty fun game, him going up against uh, Shohei Otani and the Angels. Max Scherzer was placed in the IL with that groin inflama- inflammation, but is expected to be a minimal stay for him. The nightmare season continues for Cody Bellinger, who was placed on the IL retroactive to June 12th. This might just be a short stay as well, but uh, left hamstring tightness is what he's dealing with there. If you were using Bellinger in the outfield, and you need someone there. 50% rostered or less. Ahmed Rosario, Miguel Andujar, Jock Peterson, Oduble Herrera were some names that stood out to me. If you need a first baseman who is rostered in less than 70% of leagues, Joey Votto, who we just spoke about yesterday. Jonathan Scope has first base eligibility. He hit his 11th home run of the season on Tuesday. And Patrick Wisdom, who has been hot for the, well, not recently, but overall he's been pretty good for the Chicago Cubs. Adalberto Mondesi was reinstated, but did not start on Tuesday, which is something that always confuses me. I don't know exactly why teams do that, but please stay healthy, Adalberto Mondesi. We are begging you. Luis Severino suffered a grade two groin strain during his rehab stint over the weekend. The Yankees were hoping to have him back by the end of June, but the groin injury will delay his return by about a month, according to Aaron Boone. So maybe late July, early August for Severino. Bryce Harper was removed from Tuesday's action with an apparent injury. Ronald Acuna returned to the lineup on Tuesday. Chris Bryant left after getting hit by a pitch on his right hand. X-rays came back negative. Anthony Rendon will be out for a couple of days. He hurt his triceps late on Monday night. Tucker Davidson, Scott, which you mentioned, left his start with forearm tightness and will be placed on the IL. That sucks, especially for those who started him in a weekly league and were expecting two starts. 
boom, this guy, I was one of those. Uh, Steven Strasberg's recent visit with a neck specialist didn't lead to anything concrete, but he's scheduled for another visit. Well, good luck, Steven Strasberg. Javier Baez returned to the lineup with his 15th home run of the season. Adbert Alzali threw a bullpen and may be ready for activation after one more session. Colton Wong will likely be activated during the upcoming series against the Rockies. Jamer Candelario was reinstated Tuesday. Tommy Edmond was scratched due to a tight torso. Uh, the Tigers designated Wilson Ramos for assignment, so if you added Eric Haas, mm-hmm. looks like he, he will be sticking around as their starting catcher. He actually plays a little bit of outfield, too, so that helps with his playing time. Uh, Remember like in week two when Wilson Ramos was leading the majors in home runs? <laughs> yeah, and I think it was like hard hit rate and exit velocity and all yeah. this stuff. And, gosh. That, that, that fell apart. That was a long time ago. A few prospect updates for you. Jared Kelnick added another sock and a shoe on Monday. Yeah. That's now sock and a shoe. two games in a row with a catching home run. On. Sock and a shoe. It's catching on. It's catching on. I saw people talking about it on Twitter. Uh, that's now two games in a row with a home run and a stolen base at AAA for Jared Kelnick. So build that confidence up. You know, a couple of weeks. Maybe we see you by the end of June, early July, maybe right after the All-Star break, something like that. I agree with Scott. I think you should be holding on to Jared Kelnick. And Yankees pitching prospect Luis Gill was promoted to AAA. He had a 2.64 ERA and a 1.21 whip with 50 strikeouts over 30 and two-thirds innings pitch. So gets a lot of strikeouts, lots of whiffs, but also walks a lot of batters as well. The name there is Luis Gill. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to play Trade Matchmaker. Should you be selling high on these starting pitchers for some buy-low hitters? We'll talk about it next here on Fantasy Baseball Today. So, Scott, I originally got this idea for the segment because I saw a tweet from Ron Chandler, who is one of the most respected, smartest fantasy baseball minds ever in the entire industry. Don't really think there's any disputing that. But he tweeted out, Starting Monday, our fantasy standings are going to start shifting. Next winter's stat splits are going to have to be, quote, before 621, before June 21st, and 621 and after. So, he thinks that there is going to be a dramatic shift in the environment based on that tweet where offense is going to take off here. And we've already seen it since highlighted yesterday. I think it was June 3rd and beyond. Uh, offense is up quite a bit. And he thinks it might jump even more after uh, Monday, which is when they're going to start cracking down on these foreign substances. Scott, do you think that it will be as drastic as a shift here in favor of offense? I don't. I can't say with real confidence. I mean, I, I think offense is going to improve to what extent. It could be huge. It could be huge, but I don't think it would just be because of of the, the crackdown on substances. That'll help. That'll be part of it. But there's also everything else we've talked about. Um, pitching attrition, I think, is going to become a problem. It's already been a problem, of course, record number of IL stints already, but I think that's only going to increase as the innings begin to pile up now that we're past the end point from last year. I think we're going to see more and more pitchers go on the IL. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, we're already expecting some, no- even, even before this, this sticky stuff it came into the discussion, we were already expecting offense to increase just because, you know, mi- April numbers were, the numbers, the season-long numbers were dragged down so much by an unseasonably cold April where the league-wide BABIP was just absurdly low and May was more typical. And, and you know, if it followed the usual trends, it would get 
better and better as as the temperature warmed up, offense would. So we were already expecting that. And then we got these other things here now dragging down the 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 pitching pool, uh, making that weaker. So I mean the the high watermark is 2019 for offense. And um I wouldn't rule it out. I think it's definitely going to be different from April and May, um, is it going to be more like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be as drastic as 2019, but I'm, I would be, as we've said several times on this podcast, I would be nervous about moving any starting pitching right now. All right. So then maybe I should just scrap this entire segment <laughs> it's because it's sell high on starting pitchers for buy low hitters, but someone still might have depth out there. So let's talk about it. I, I thought the point that you made about uh, attrition is probably the biggest one to take away there because it's a good point. And the fact that all these ace starting pitchers are going down, that means people are stepping in who are not nearly as good. So I don't think that we're going to see power bounce back to the level that it was back in 2019. But I think in terms of batting average, OBP, maybe some extra base hits, some doubles, triples. Uh, I do think those are going to be on the rise here. So what I'm going to do, Scott, is I'm going to give you a group of pitchers and then a group of hitters. And you're going to tell me what a realistic trade is. And if you don't want to trade any of these starting pitchers, if you just want to hold on to all of them, I don't have a problem with that. Just feel free to tell me. So the first group that we have here is Kevin Gosman, Carlos Rodon, and Zach Wheeler. All three of those pitchers rank inside the top six starting pitchers in fantasy points per game right now. And the hitters that I thought maybe you can acquire for these pitchers included Freddie Freeman, Bryce Harper, or Trevor Story. Do you think any of those trades are realistic? Would you want to try and offer any of them? I think all of those trades are realistic. I think Freddie Freeman is the one I'd be most eager to trade for of those three, especially now Harper's dealing with the back issue. We don't know the severity of that. But I I also think Story's going to bounce back in a pretty major way. I would say that Carlos Rodon is the one I'd be most likely to shop for. Yeah, I, I think I'd probably trade Rodon for Freeman or Story unless like, I, I felt like I would be putting my pitching staff in dire straits with that move. But if I'm trading from excess, I think that's okay. We've talked before about Rodon, first full year back from Tommy John's surgery, stands to reason he's not going to be able to accumulate as many innings as the average pitcher. And uh, that that could become an issue in the second half. So yeah, I'd be fine with any of those, either of those deals. The second group that I have here is Julio Arias, Trevor Rogers, and Freddie Peralta. All three of those currently rank inside the top 20 in terms of fantasy points per game. And I think specifically with Rodgers and Peralta, they're going to be on innings limits at some point. Probably could say the same thing for Julio Arias. Uh, Trevor Rogers pitched on Tuesday and he was at the Cardinals, six innings, one run, six strikeouts. He has allowed three earned runs or less in every start this season. It's his fourth straight uh, quality start. So uh, for that group, Scott, do you think you can get the Seager, Machado? I'll even throw in like Christian Yelich into that group. Or is it more realistic to try for like Jose Abreu, Anthony Rendon, or, or DJ LeMahieu? What do you think? So, would I trade Julio Arias, Trevor Rogers, or Freddie Peralta for Seager or Machado or Yelich? Again, probably not for Seager. You know, Machado would be hard to turn down, I think, in any of those scenarios. Yelich is such a 
such a big question mark right now. I'm not necessarily opposed to it, but again, it would have to be needs-based. Okay, so you think Arias, Rogers, and Peralta are worth more than Jose Abreu, Anthony Rendon, and DJ LeMahieu right now? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. The reason I bring it up is because I, I have a hard time myself comparing the value of pitchers versus hitters. Sometimes I feel like maybe I bring up trades that are not realistic or something. So that's what you got to keep me. You keep me in check here, Scott. That's what we do. So I'll bring up stuff and and you tell me if it's uh, if it's realistic or not. This third group is Aaron Savale and Marcus Stroman, who Savale is currently ninth in fantasy points per game. I think a lot of that is driven by wins. And then Marcus Stroman is 26th in fantasy points per game. So uh, for Savale or Stroman, how about you tell me what level of hitter you think I can get? Is it Abreu, Rendon, LeMahieu, or is it maybe the next group below them? Of I'm looking at Paul Goldschmidt, Eddie Rosario, Michael Conforto, who's expected to return soon. Ugh, definitely not that group. <laughs> no, that's you've, you've crossed the threshold from hitters I trust to hitters I don't trust. All right. That's good. That's why uh, we're doing that this. Point. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think you need to aim higher. So what would be a good target? Um, well, do you think, would you do it for LeMahieu, Scott, who he currently, he has multiple hits in five of his last six games. So showing signs of life. Yeah. See, this is this is the difficulty in them constantly changing the environment on you because yeah. we, we started to get used to one thing with hitters and, and now it's about to change again. And we don't know to what extent. Ron Chandler thinks it's going to be to a major extent and maybe DJ LeMahieu lives up to a second round price tag after all. I don't know. But he was one of the players that we were most concerned about the dead-end ball impacting impacting him. I think at least in terms of power production, that's still on the table as a as a possible outcome. And I don't have I don't have a ton of confidence that at this point that DJ LeMay he was going to be more than a fringy mixed leaguer. I don't. I'm hopeful in the leagues where I still have him. I certainly wouldn't want to sell low on him but I can't see myself buying low on him either. All right, so that was for Aaron Savale and Marcus Stroman. So maybe aim higher. I mean, look, it doesn't hurt to aim higher. What's the worst thing that people could say? No. Maybe they get mad at you. Don't ever send me trade offer again. So (laughs) try it anyway. Who cares? I've had so many people tell me that in my life anyway. Uh, This final group's got Kyle Gibson and Anthony DiSclefani. Kyle Gibson now has a quality start in 11 of 13 starts after Tuesday, six innings, one run against the uh, against the Houston Astros. I I don't really know how he's doing it right now. His his home run suppression has been really impressive, seven point six percent home run to fly ball ratio. That's fourteen percent for his career. That's Kyle Gibson. Uh, and then Anthony DiSclefani is coming off of a complete game where he was obviously very good. So maybe this is the group where you target like a Paul Goldschmidt or or an Eddie Rosario, even though you don't really trust those guys much. Maybe, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't like. I don't trust half the hitter pool right now, so it's difficult for me to say. Oh yeah, that one's okay. Uh, let me see. Let's see if I pull open. But at I the same time, rent. Scott, you probably don't trust Kyle Gibson or or Anthony Desclafani to continue doing what they've done. Desclafani. Yeah, I don't. I have a little more faith in Gibson. Okay. So let me look at outfield here, since this is obviously a deep hitter position. So, like a Jared Walsh or a Trey Mancini, uh, even Mitch Hanniger, who it sounds like is going to be back in the lineup tomorrow, we were worried about him 
having that deep bone bruise in his knee. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, Alex Verdugo. This is kind of getting toward the end of the hitters I trust. Michael Brantley. I still like Lourdes Gurriel a lot, and he's kind of a buy low. So I would do like Desclavani for Gurriel for sure. I think that's probably a realistic trade. Kind of a boring hitter who I think... I I think people dismiss him because he's boring, but I I think he's actually pretty good as Brian Reynolds. I think he's very attainable. Would I give up Gibson for him? Depends what my need is, I guess. If, If I'm thinking hitting is about to get better and pitching is about to get worse... You know, it'd have to be a scenario where Gibson is like my number eight starter, you know, which in terms of in terms of trust level, not performance today, performance to date, He's probably higher than your number eight starter, uh, which I think could be realistic, right? It's, yeah, yeah. Nobody was really touting Kyle Gibson coming into the season. And uh, he he's throwing this cutter. We've talked about it a lot this season, which maybe that's helped with his home run suppression. But uh, yeah, I think if you play in a deeper league, these are all hitters that were drafted inside of the top. 150, and they haven't performed. Uh, Eugenio Suarez, Kevin Biggio, Brandon Lau, Alec Bohm. Uh, Kirilov wasn't drafted inside the top 150, but his expected numbers are still really good. So I'll just throw that name out there one more time. Jeff McNeil is expected to return to, uh, soon for the Mets. So there's another name for you. The Excitometer, Scott. We debuted the Excitometer kind of randomly last week, uh, but I'm going to bring up some notable starting pitchers from Tuesday. And... One to ten, you tell me how excited you are based on the start that they had. And we'll start with Luis Castillo, who might be back. He was at the Brewers, seven shutout with seven strikeouts to three walks. He had 18 swinging strikes on 109 pitches. And over his last three starts, he has a 1.98 ERA. Scott, the excitometer, Luis Castillo. I would probably put it at an eight. Yeah. Pretty excited. Definitely trending the right way. This was the first week in the leagues where I had him that I I entrusted him with a lineup spot again, put him back in my lineup, and obviously that's gone well so far. He has a second start coming up this week. Uh, but the velocity's been going up. The swinging strikes have been going up. The walks have been coming down. And of course, the, the uh, quality of contact's been coming down too. It just looks like a different pitcher all of a sudden. You know, he hasn't had like a huge strikeout performance yet that would really punctuate this return to form. So I'm waiting for that. But otherwise, he's he's looked he's looked pretty solid and is back in the circle of trust, I would say. It is worth mentioning that he's currently on pace to face the Atlanta Braves at home next week. So in Great American Ballpark, don't really love that spot all that much, but Let's see how his next start goes. If, if he's good again next time out, I, I'd probably be okay with it. All right. How about Patrick Corbin, who was up against the Pirates on Tuesday, and it was the furthest he has gone in a start since May 25th of 2019. He goes eight and a third, one earned run, seven strikeouts to just one walk. He had 14 swinging strikes, and he threw 43 sliders, which is his second most all season. Scott, Patrick Corbin, the excitometer. Well, second most all season, you're talking a raw count, not a percentage, right? Yes. The fact he threw 110 pitches probably contributes to that because he's been, he's made his slider his prominent pitch again for the past several turns. And really, velocity hasn't been an issue in a while. Um, how many whiffs he's been getting on a slider, that hasn't been an issue in a while. So 
you, you know, kind of those red flags that we saw for him last year have been gone for a while now, and yet the the results weren't there. I was against Pittsburgh this start, but it was a really good start. Um, I would say on the excitometer, I it's probably only like a four because need to see a few more starts like this before he's before I'm entrusting a lineup spot to him, but it's it's not nothing. How about Dallas Keuchel, who was up against the Tampa Bay Rays, seven shutout with five strikeouts, only one walk. He had 12 swinging strikes on 102 pitches, and he threw 38 cutters in this start, and now that's two straight where he is using the cutter more, and that was his main pitch last season when Dallas Keuchel was awesome. There's also three straight quality starts as well, Scott. So Dallas Keuchel, the excitometer. Well, you can only get so excited about Dallas Keuchel, right? <laughs> so I'll say 6.5 for Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, the, the cutter usage I think is a big deal. He's he's certainly looked more effective since increasing, increasing it. He was coming off 19 whiffs in his previous start, had 12 in this one. Uh, which would also be one of his highest totals for the season. And hopefully he's going to get back to being a quality start machine here. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about that. Yeah, I'm actually pretty excited about Dallas Keuchel now, too. It's, again, you know, uh, you limit your excitement on Dallas Keuchel because you don't want to get let down. But he's pitching very well, again, getting that cutter involved. Next up, we have Frankie Montas. Seven innings, two runs, eight strikeouts against the Angels. That is two straight quality starts for him. He had 16 Swinging strikes on 98 pitches, and nine of those came on the splitter, which was his best pitch back in 2019, Scott. So the excitometer for Frankie Montas. Yeah, and I noticed, I, I think for a second straight start, the spin rate on his splitter was down like 300 RPM, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, that's a pitch that you want to drop. You want it to have that tumble. Clearly, it was effective in this start. Whiff rate was off the charts on that splitter in this start. So I, I'm probably about a seven on the excitometer for Frankie Montas. I want to see here. So don't have the stats for this latest start two and runs in seven innings in here, but over his past 10 starts, his ERA is below 350. Frankie Montas and uh, with a pretty good whiff rate. Yeah, I would say just judging by his season-long numbers, which the ERA is still over four because of some couple of really rough starts in April, I, th- I think he might be somebody to target in a trade right now. You know, it, just in terms of, so like, in a points league, uh, well, yeah, in a points league where you're you're really cognizant of the wins and losses that your starting pitchers are getting, as well as Frankie Montas has pitched recently, he's only two and five in his past two and four in his past six starts. So the experience of rostering Frankie Montas may not, even with, with him you know, pitching better of late, it may not be all that rewarding. So the ERA being high, the, the win-loss record being kind of skewed, I think it adds up to Frankie Montas being a buy-low target right now because what I've seen with this splitter, particularly in his most recent starts, is pretty encouraging. Specifically on the splitter, his CSW percentage, which is called strikes plus whiffs, was 46% on Tuesday. Mind you, league average for all pitches is 28%. So, I mean, anything over 30 is like pretty good. 
Anything over 35 is like really good. Anything over 40 is awesome. It was 46% uh, CSW for Frankie Montas' splitter on Tuesday. So that pitch was really working for him. I agree. I think if you can acquire him right now, something I would look into doing. And I'll just wrap up this excitometer with Shane McClanahan, who was not very good at the White Sox on Tuesday. Five innings, seven hits, uh, three runs, two of those were earned. But he had 16 swinging strikes on 89 pitches. That was a season high in pitches, and he threw four different pitches at least 11 times, including a season high 22 curveballs. His previous season high was 11. So over his last three starts, he hasn't been good. He's got a 7.30 ERA. But Scott, something I brought up in our emergency podcast for Glass now was that some of the other Tampa Bay Rays pitchers might have to step up, and they might get pushed further than they have before because they don't want to tax their bullpen as much as they have. And... I think we already have seen that. Shane McClanahan throwing 89 pitches in the start. So if that's a sign yep. of things to come, I'm pretty excited, especially with his swinging strike rate and, and throwing all these different pitches like he did on Tuesday. So I will expand it to not only dynasty leagues. I would be looking to buy low on Shane McClanahan everywhere. And I, I think you can get him for like really cheap too. I don't, I don't think it's going to cost you anything. Yeah. I mean, in redraft leagues, he's probably borderline rostered right now because the last three starts to 730 ERA. Yeah, I don't know that my excitement is quite at the level of yours, but uh, I mean, you highlighted all the all the positive notes in terms of what we're seeing from McClanahan right now. I just wish I just wish he was more effective uh, because that's obviously a question mark for a rookie pitcher without much of a track record. So yeah, I'll put him as like a five on the excitometer for me. All right, Scott, we have to go rapid fire into hyperdrive here. And let's look at some waiver wire options from Tuesday. Ahmed Rosario went three for five with his seventh steal. He's only 48% rostered on CBS. He has shortstop and outfield eligibility. And in 35 games since the start of May, Ahmed Rosario is batting 336 with two home runs and seven steals. That is a 30 stolen base pace over 150 games. I really like a Meta Rosario, Scott. <laughs> well, somebody has to, right? Oh. <laughs> There's just not a lot of power there, and I don't trust him to sustain a 30-steal pace because he's never done that before, and I know he's with a new team now, and that makes a big difference. And that team likes to run, Scott. I think that matters. It Oh, it definitely matters, but it's still it, it's still asking him to sustain peak, peak performance for you know three and a half months. I think he's probably more like a 20 to 25 steal guy with a pretty good batting average because he makes a lot of contact, hits the ball to all fields, pretty good line drive rate, but not a lot of power. And um, yeah, I, I think that's pretty fringy, only usable in a in like a roto league, really. Needs to be rostered in every category league. There, I said it for a Ahmed Rosario. <laughs> Kwang Hyun Kim, he was going up against the Marlins. Six innings, one run, five walks with six strikeouts. I don't think Kim is very good, but he finds a way to pitch well most of the time. He's 40% rostered, and it looks like he's facing the Pirates next week, Scott. Any interest in Kwang Hyun Kim? I really don't have any interest in him, no. I don't <laughs> think he's very good either, and you know he's managed to keep the ERA below. Well, it, it just dropped below uh, four with this start, but you know his previous start was three innings. This was his first six-inning start all year. Yeah, I just I don't think there's a lot of impact here. Man, you know, the Diamondbacks are so bad. 
I, I'm sorry for any Diamondbacks fans out there. So they've lost 26 of 28 now, right? I thought I saw a stat like that somewhere, which is just, yeah. you have to try to be that bad. It's just, <laughs> man. They had a winning record in April. They, they had a huge lead in this game, and I just checked back, and the Giants won. Like, Mike Yastrzemski hit a grand slam in the eighth inning to take a one-run lead in that game, and and the Diamondbacks found a way to lose. So uh, what I wanted to bring up was Christian Walker, who went two for four with a double, actually two for five, two for five with a double and three RBI. He's 25% rostered. He did have an 825 OPS back in 2019 uh, and a 792 OPS last season, Scott. So any interest in Christian Walker, maybe in leagues with a corner infielder? You know, I'm I'm mostly just disappointed that... Uh, Christian Walker is kind of interfering with Paven Smith here. And actually not that much. Paven Smith is kind of bouncing all over the outfield, still playing close to every day. But at this point, I have more trust in Paven Smith than Christian Walker. Maybe the new environment that's forthcoming will change that. Maybe Christian Walker gets back to being a pretty useful bat in fantasy. Who knows, Frank? Who knows? <laughs> You don't know? I don't know, Scott. Uh, let's talk about a few names in deeper leagues. Jonathan Daza of the Colorado Rockies went three for five with an RBI. He's batting 325 on the season. He doesn't really offer much else outside of batting average. He's only 11% rostered. Brett Anderson somehow threw seven shutout with nine strikeouts. I mean, what happened, Cincinnati Reds? Did you forget how to play baseball on Tuesday? Uh, Chris Flexen up against the Twins. This might be the biggest head scratcher of all. Eight shutout, four hits, zero walks, Eight strikeouts for Chris Flexen in this start. He now has quality starts in three of his last four starts. I don't. Yeah, I, get, I don't know if got, there's anything there, Scott. But he was really good on Tuesday. Well, the other starts, the whiffs were terrible, but he had 15 against the Twins. Yeah, and I don't really make anything of it yet. But I, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of that stretch Merrill Kelly was on earlier this year where it's just kind of one of those things and obviously Merrill Kelly's come back down to earth. I suspect Flexen will too. Yeah, the kind of thing it's like playing hot potato, Scott. You don't you don't want to be the one that's caught with... Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it was... If you started Martin Perez, I think it was last week, he was a two-star pitcher and he was pitching really well before that. He just got completely destroyed in two starts. So I'm not saying that's going to happen to Chris Flexen. He had 15 swinging strikes on 107 pitches. So put him on the scout team. That's what you usually say about guys like Chris Flexen. Uh, Tuesday, studs being studs, hitter edition. Jose Altuve went two for five with a grand slam. That's his 13th home run of the season. He is batting 290 with an 844 OPS. Pretty sure 2020 was a complete fluke for Jose Altuve. Trey Turner went four for five with a triple. He has slowed down a little bit recently, but nice little bounce back here for him. Rafael Devers went three for five with his 16th home run. He's now up to 54 RBI on the season. That is second in baseball. He is on pace for 37 home runs and 126 RBI over 150 games. And he is doing that with a sub 700 OPS versus left-handed pitching. So he is absolutely destroying right-handed pitching. His home run today was off to left-handed pitcher, albeit a weakened one. Tucker that's, Davidson. That's very good to see. Uh, Bo Bichette went two for four with his 14th home run. He now has 15 hits over his last eight games, raising his batting average to 284. That was really the last piece of the five-category production we were waiting for for Bo Bichette, and it looks like it's coming around. Uh, not sure that this guy is a stud, but he is now, Scott. Ryan McMahon had three hits, including a triple, and his 16th home run of the season. He now has had a 42% fly ball rate or better every month this year. So 
batting average has fallen off a little bit, but Ryan McMahon is someone who in the past has hit way too many ground balls. I really like the fact that he has kept up this fly ball rate consistently throughout the season. Yeah, the fly ball rate has remained up. The strikeout rate has remained down. And those were his two biggest flaws in past years. So I don't know that the ceiling is all that high. He, the, the, he doesn't get on base much. The walk rate is low, um, which limits his potential. But, you know, course field, that, that Babbitt inflating environment... Maybe if hitting becomes easier across the league, maybe McMahon gets that batting average up some. I don't know. I don't know. Definitely looks like a better player this year than in the past, though. I would agree with that. Some leftovers from Tuesday. Gary Sanchez went two for five with a double in his ninth home run. His last 15 games, he's batting 340 with four home runs. That also comes with a 31% strikeout rate. So... Some signs of life here for Gary Sanchez. He's been much better in the month of June. Eduardo Rodriguez at the Braves. Four innings, four runs, eight strikeouts. Like the strikeouts, but um, 17 swinging strikes on 80 pitches. He hasn't had a quality start since April 25th, Scott. So, I don't know. And his ERA is 698. No, 621. Sorry, 621. How is the ERA? It's bad either way. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know. Like he's he's kind of been the biggest underachiever in terms of looking at his xFIP and all the predictor stats like that. Um, yeah, I, I, clearly you can't trust him right now. These last two items, Lance McCullers was pretty meh in his return, but I noticed the velocity on his sinker was ninety one point nine miles per hour. That's ninety three point five miles per hour for the season. So down quite a bit there. I don't know if there's anything, but we'll pay attention to McCullers' velocity. And you Darvish, who he allowed four runs over five innings. He had five different pitches with the spin rate down at least 175 RPM. So, I don't know if that matters. It, it might have been like a Coors Field thing in, in Colorado. The ball just like moves weird and different there, but I guess it's worth That's mentioning. That's true. Uh, the call to the pen. Some bullpen updates. The Texas Rangers. The long-awaited anticipation, Scott, to know who is the Rangers closer without Ian Kennedy. It was Josh Spores. And then he allowed a game-tying solo home run to Carlos Correa. So I don't think he's very good, but it looks like he's going to be the closer in the meantime, as long as Kennedy is on the IL. For the Mets, Edwin Diaz had pitched three of the last four days, so Seth Lugo pitched the eighth and the ninth inning, and he picked up his first save of the season. Scott, I'm kind of interested in Lugo in... Category leagues where if you need help in saves, if you need some help with ratios, Lugo now has a 1.17 ERA with 12 strikeouts over, it's only seven and two-thirds innings pitch, but we've seen Lugo be really good in the past, so. Yeah, and oh, wait a second. So it was, he missed, did he miss all of last year with injury? I'm not sure if it was all of last year. So the last we saw of him, right, he had moved to the starting rotation and started out good, but then got throttled at the end. No, yeah, he he pitched as a that was just last year. Yeah, he pitched as a starter. That was just okay. Yeah, last year was so short. I get it mixed up with. Yeah, no, he's looked awesome since coming back. He's looked like the elite reliever he was in 2019 and 2018, and before moving to the bullpen in 2020. So I, I agree. In, in terms of ratios, Seth Lugo should be a pretty good bet. For Cleveland, in a five-run game, James Karinczak pitched in the eighth inning to face three, four, and five in the Orioles lineup. Emmanuel Class A was used in the ninth. Wasn't a save situation, but 
thought it was notable. The Red Sox, Matt Barnes allowed a run, but he got his 15th save. For the Tigers, uh, Gregory Soto got his sixth save of the season. Jose Cisnero was only used once in the previous three days, so... I guess he should have been available. Um, Michael Former pitched yesterday. It was his first game back, so maybe they're taking it easy with him. The Tigers situation is, I mean, I think it may have elevated to one of the worst in baseball just because they're a bad team, and it seems like they're using multiple relievers. For the White Sox, Liam Hendricks got his 18th save. For the Marlins, Yimi Garcia allowed a walk-off home run to Paul Goldschmidt and took his fifth loss of the season. And for the Reds, Lucas Sims pitched in the ninth in a tie game. Amir Garrett came in for the final out to face Tim Lopes, and he got his third save of the season. That, that was in extra innings. Yes, it was. If it wasn't clear. Yep. Uh, so, I Sims still, came in with a game tied in the ninth, pitched a scoreless innings, went to extra. Yeah. Garrett got a one-out save. I think Sims is the guy, but there was a game yeah. recently where he came in in the sixth inning randomly. It was, I think it was like the biggest spot in the game, so whatever. And it didn't go well. It, it did <laughs> that not. That was one of his worst appearances recently, too. Yeah, I think it was actually Luis Castillo's last start, and we talked about that. Uh, to stream or not to stream, we'll wrap up here with uh, Wednesday, Tarek Skubal at the Royals, Keegan Aiken at Cleveland, Griffin Canning at Oakland, uh, Cole Irvin versus the Angels, Brady Singer versus the Tigers, and Merrill, Ke- Merrill Kelly at the Giants. Seems like we've been talking about this pitching slate forever. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, now I'm <laughs> questioning if I got it right. Uh, did you change this from yesterday? Did you change this in the rundown? I, th- I thought I did. Well, Scoople didn't go today, so he must have. Yeah, Scoople at KC is the top choice, followed by, I think I would say, Griffin Canning at Oakland, and then Brady Singer versus the Tigers. All right, for Thursday, man, we have had some really bad slates, but this one, I think this one takes the cake. Matt Manning at the Angels in his Major League debut, Wade Miley at the Padres, John Gant. That's Cy Young contender John Gant at the Atlanta Braves, Jorge Lopez at Cleveland, Michael King at the Blue Jays, and a bunch of TBDs, Scott. So if you want to choose those, <laughs> feel free. Oh gosh, I, I'm not even going to try to pick more than one. Yeah, I think here. it's only I think it's if, only Wade if, Miley. That's it. Yeah, if you, if I have to pick a favorite, it's Wade Miley. I'm not even fully endorsing him, yeah. but he usually is pretty good at limiting damage, at least. Yeah, um, hopefully by tomorrow those TBDs turn into actual starting pitchers. So uh, we'll have more options then. We're going to wrap up. For Scott and Frank, thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball. Today we'll be back again tomorrow. Bye bye.